So, welcome to episode 71 of The Game Pit. It's Ronan here. I do not have Sean with me this time around. I instead have a very special guest. Please welcome for the first time to The Game Pit, Mr. Stephen Bonacore. Hey, Ronan. How you doing, man? I'm very well. Thank you. Thank you great very much for joining Great to be here. <laughs> it's great to have you. I think it was syncing up on the times. It's a little after 10 a.m. on the east coast of the United States. And uh, what time is it over there? Like... It's 3 p.m. on a dreary Essex afternoon in (laughs) autumn. It's very grey here. It's the first kind of grey day of the year. It's been a nice summer. So I'm sharing the greyness today in New Jersey. It's a rainy day here too. (laughs) Three thousand miles of just grey. That's right. Across the pond, all grey. Well, we've got the, the sunshine of Essen to look forward to. It's always lovely over there. Oh, yeah. It's always beautiful at this time of year in Essen. Not. <laughs> so, as our listeners will know, this episode is coming out in the middle of our usual spiel previews of games. We've already talked about Great Western Trail. We will be talking about more Stronghold Games releases. But Stephen kindly volunteered to join us. And we just thought we'd talk to him about a slightly different side of the fair. Whereas Sean and I will give you a view of customers and gamers and getting very excited and spending too much money. Stephen's the man who takes all our money. (laughs) Sort of. (laughs) Hopefully in a good way. Of course, of course. Okay, so Stephen, you started the company back in 2010. And you started with a couple of reprints of games. I believe we were just talking off air. 2010 was your first Spiel Fair. You brought a few copies of Survive and Code 77 over there. But in terms of Stronghold itself, what made you go into publishing and why did you want to start with reprints? Yeah, that's a question I get asked a lot. It's a really good one. And, you know, this is back in the days, back before Kickstarter, back when the industry was barely able to call it an industry, you know. I mean, cottage industry was overstating what hobby games were back then. You know, I have had for my entire life a financial background and an IT background. I have an MBA. So, you know, I have a lot of good business knowledge and business sense. So I was studying the market. I'm a gamer through and through, and I've always been a gamer. So, you know, I was just studying hobby games and picking up the the latest and greatest things, obviously, throughout the, the late 90s and into the 2000s. It had the big upheaval in on the markets in 2008, and then in 2009 when things were settling in, and I said to myself, you know, this uh, craziness of being on, in, in the financial industry is just insane. Let me see if I can, you know, leverage some of my gaming knowledge and knowledge of what's going on in the industry with my background in education and bring a little bit of structure and business sense to a passion that I already have in gaming. So that's how Stronghold Games was born. It was technically born late 2009, but by middle 2010, we'd had our first game out, Code 777, and then fairly quickly thereafter, Survive, and then Confusion. And then that's a long way of getting to, well, why did we start with those games, which are all reprints? It was because, you know, we had an unknown company with no real ways of doing the marketing the way you can now using Kickstarter. So I wanted to basically find these games that were highly in demand by gamers. You know, eBay started selling these games of $100 and things like that. And then people would say, they'll take a chance on this new company called Stronghold Games, and we would raise our brand up as people were noticing what we could do with those games. So that was the beginnings of Stronghold Games. Cool. And if you threw a pebble into a room of gamers, you're almost guaranteed to hit someone who wants to be a designer. Did you never get an urge to make the games yourself? Well, you know, I'm just not smart enough to be a designer. Oh, me too. (laughs) (laughs) As simple as that. (laughs) It's a completely separate skill set. I've always said, and I think other people have said this too, so it's not even a particularly 
<laughs> novel idea. But every one of us who is a gamer has a game inside of us that we're dying to. It's like that novel, right? <laughs> right. Every we, we all we all think we do, and you know maybe we do. Maybe we have that great concept of some game. But you know, going from that and working it through and making sure it works and making sure it's not so derivative. And make, you know, I'm not that guy. However, I know those guys. <laughs> and I know when those guys do it right. So I'm bringing business sense to the game industry, to Stronghold Games. I believe that I have found and I have worked with some of the greatest minds in game design and in game publishing, as I'm sure we'll get to about all of my partnerships I've made. So mm-hmm. that's what I'm bringing to the table, making those relationships, vetting games from the ground up, those prototypes, those brand new things, and then also finding great games that have already been published or are just being published and creating those partnerships and then bringing them to the North American market as well as the rest of the world because I do have worldwide distribution. It's hard to imagine this for us now, but back in 2010 when you approached your first ever spiel as a very small company, I'm sure you were very nervous and timid oh, and sure. quiet. <laughs> sure. Maybe back then not not so quiet, but yeah. Definitely a little bit of... Um, Trying to paint a picture here. Great narrative, Stephen. You've got to work with me. Work with you, work with you. Yes, I was a shy, reserved guy from New Jersey. I don't think there are any of those, but go, go ahead, go ahead. We'll work with you. I like to, I like to think of it. Schoolboyish, maybe. <laughs> Was it quite a big step for a fledgling company to go across to a foreign convention over to Germany and start doing business in a totally different market? Well, yeah, sure. I mean, you always have, well, how are we going to get this kind of done here? In the beginning, I did have a business partner who had been there before, so we had a little bit of a leg up there. But the butterflies go away really soon once the doors open and the gamers are there loving your games and you're selling games. You're just going crazy and then over time what you end up doing is making local relationships in year two i had a logistics company already that would take all of my stuff from the booth or actually bring it there in the beginning of the show and then yeah. hold it in their warehouse and then set it up for me the, the next essen which is much better actually than i have for any other convention in the world so in a lot of ways that portion is easier doing it in germany in Essen than it is for the U.S. shows where I've got to figure out, okay, i got to get my tables and chairs from my warehouse and somehow I've got to get it there. And it's crazy in the U.S. the way the um, logistics work. I like using the word. It's like working with the mafia when you have to get things into a convention center because you got to, like, only work with the unions and things like this. It's crazy. <laughs> it's crazy. I'm not sure a man from New Jersey can be talking about that. <laughs> <laughs> That's the secret to the success. You would think I know a guy. I do know a guy, but I don't know that guy. Yeah, so, you know, working working in Essen now and doing the logistics there is actually not all that difficult. You know, when we're working with this great company called Ataka in Essen, they take care of setting the booth up. They do a phenomenal job for me, and it makes things so much easier that I can just show up, do the setup, that part, you know, mm-hmm. of, the, of the games, mm-hmm. putting the games into the storage area and stuff, and then we're ready to take our meetings and start selling. And the games that you have at the show... Will you have them printed over in Germany or somewhere in Europe, or do you actually have to fly them over from America, which doesn't seem that economical to me. No, it does not seem economical. That's correct. So what Stronghold Games does is for any game that I must have there in Essen, I print essentially at Ludofact, Germany. They're sometimes printing it that week. Yeah. Scary. (laughs) And it really is. They're printing it like that week. This year for the eight new releases, I believe, that I have, Six of them are printed at Ludofact, Germany, and two of them, Czech Republic printer, so they're bringing them over. So uh, between the two, the games are all there in Europe. I don't have to worry about customs or anything like that, and they get sent right directly over to the show. 
Cool. And then will you have separate print runs over in America for distribution over there? That's interesting. I do now print games. First of all, I print some in China. I think everybody does yeah. some in China. It depends on what, yeah. what the game is and what the existing relationship was. There's a hundred reasons. Mm-hmm. Ludofact, very possibly the largest, I think they are the largest hobby game printer in the world at this point. And certainly of among the highest quality printers. Ludofact Germany, who has a in Asia arm as well, so the plastics get done there. They just opened up Ludofact USA which is pretty unheard of in America to be doing manufacturing. It's just we don't do it here, which is sad on a lot of levels, and people, you know, go crazy about that fact. Why is everything done mm-hmm. overseas, you know? And you know, that's, a, that's a thing that, you know, it's just been happening year after year. We do very little manufacturing. Well, Ludofact has opened Ludofact USA. They will be doing some printing here and all the final assembly here in the United States that we request them to do. So, all plastics are done in China. They'll have those sent over. They'll have yeah. some of the printing done, like the cards specifically. Card printing is a very specialized part of the whole thing. You've got to have the right paper, linen finished, black core, 300 GSM. It's a very, very specific thing you need to have the highest quality cards. That'll still be done in Europe. That'll be sent over. But then a lot of the extra final printing, the rules and, and the boxes themselves, that'll all be done in the United States, in Lafayette, Indiana, Ludo Fact USA, and final assembly shrink wrapping and then brought from there to my warehouse which is only a few states over in Georgia. I don't get a particular large price break there. Pricing is about the same, but mm-hmm. what I get is time to market. So instead of having to wait the 3 weeks to get the games from Germany to the warehouse, I now have it takes 2 days to get the games from Lafayette, Indiana or less, 1 day Lafayette, Indiana to to Georgia. So we will be doing printing in both locations, depending on when we need the games, and sometimes, as you implied, splitting that production up. In fact, Terraforming Mars has been done exactly like that. I had the bulk of the printing done in Ludofact USA, and then Ludofact Germany is doing several hundred copies specifically for the show. Seeing as we're talking about Terraforming Mars, I'll get you onto my comment here. I was supposed to have it in my hands today, Stephen. Do we know what's happened? <laughs> well, 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 first of all, <laughs> first of all, the worldwide street date for Terraforming Mars is tomorrow, as of this recording. Uh, Wednesday, yeah. the 28th. So I don't know how you were going to have it earlier. <laughs> <laughs> Once we set a, um, a worldwide street date and we send those games into distribution, sometimes it does take longer to get you know, across the pond, or certainly, like Australia, I was hearing, like, people are, you know, getting a week or even more later. It just takes longer to, to move those things around. You will have it very soon if you ordered it from your friendly local or friendly online game store. Very, very I soon. I certainly did. I might be slightly itching to play that after all the reports out of Jenko. Might be slightly itching, yeah. That game, it is so incredibly hot. I'm so proud to be part of that great partnership that we did with Fricks Games out in Sweden. And have you got an official partnership with them? Or is this just for this game and going forward? It's, it's a bunch of brothers, right, that design and print, if I remember it's correctly. nine, count them. Nine brothers. Wow, and a I whole bunch. I believe four sisters, though don't quote me on that. That's a big, big family. We don't have what I would call a strategic partnership the way we do with Eggerspiele, which we're doing mm-hmm. every one of their games, and 2Fspiele, which we're doing every one of their games. However... I guarantee, after this game and how well it has worked out, that uh, Frix Games is going to want to use Stronghold Games for the rest of their games because um, this game has certainly proven to be very, very hot for us. We may be announcing a similar type of arrangement with them, you know, going forward. 
Um, but okay. We just mentioned your strategic partnerships, your international partnerships. Is Spiel the driving force behind that? Is that where you get to meet up with people or is it too busy and you're kind of in passing and then the business gets done elsewhere from the initial contact at Spiel? Or does that have any role at all? The Spiel, or I, I mean, I just call it Essen, but right, officially. Essen, we can call it Essen. Officially, that's right, it is uh, International Spiel Tage, right? I think that's the every sign in the city has that. Has that's that a beautiful German accent. Yeah, oh yeah, incredible. I'm sure. <laughs> Horrible. <laughs> Here's my German. Ein Bier. Zwei <laughs> That's what I say the most. Oh, and sprechen Sie English? That's what I go around saying most of the time. My apologies to my German friends because my German not so. Anyway, the Essen Spiel is by far, hands down, the most important show of the year for Stronghold Games. Period. Full stop. Not only do we do the consumer business there, that is many times, many times larger than I do at the second biggest show in the world for me, which is Gen Con. Obviously, you probably figured that out. Mm-hmm. Not only the consumer side and the amount of money that you do there in sales, but the amount of meetings and therefore the amount of relationships that I establish that then turn into the actual partnerships or simply a one-off, hey, we look, we're going to do this one game with you. This is great. Thank you. Or, or the prototypes that we start from the ground up with a new designer. So on every business level possible, this is the biggest show. And we started all of our relationships at this show with everybody that I mentioned. Spielworks. Spielworks is another one, right? Spielworks with Uli Blenemann, small company. He does one, two games a year. We have a strategic mm-hmm. partnership with them. With Artipia Games, they do several games a year. And we don't, we have a strategic partnership on their first choice for everything. We don't do all their games, but we do quite a few of them. The Pursuit of Happiness was one that we just did. It just came out at the, tail end of uh, August this year and we're going to be doing, we already announced, Fields of Green with them next year. And I already mentioned 2F Spieler, that's Freedom and Freeze's company, and Eggert Spieler, the great publisher that continues to win awards year after year for their game. So we're so proud to be you know, in partnership with those companies and we'll be bringing all those great games out into North America and the rest of the world. When you're in these strategic partnerships, say Eggert Spieler decide to release a game, are you tied in to release that game for the English-speaking market in North America? Or do you have a say over, oh, I don't fancy that one, without offending them? <laughs> Our strategic partnership began, we announced it, I think it was the first quarter of this year that we announced it. They are consistently doing phenomenal games. So at the moment, I have no reason ever to consider like, oh, I don't want that one. But, I mean, could I... <laughs> or any of your partners, not necessarily with them. There, there might be one that you come up and you look at and you go, that game is horrible. Well, I don't want to offend you, but I don't want to print that. Well, <laughs> I, you know, I guess the bottom line is there's always that chance. Of course, I do play them. And we do make yeah. commentary on them. But their games are so well vetted by them. For instance, they use native English speakers when they, they do the rules writing and everything. Their games are so well done and so ready to go, it's so easy to get them to market. For some of the others, we have to do more work and more vetting, and we work with them on the various parts of it. There's a chance, sure, that I say, you know what, I'm not going to do that one. For the most part, I want to do the games with these companies because they they are that good. You know, for our market, we might have to scale the, the size of the print runs or something like that and see how we can market it and how we can target it. But we're, for the most part, doing all of those games. And do you get a chance to pick into their back catalogs and maybe games that haven't made it across or haven't had big print runs or whatever you and say, oh, we fancy printing that, can we? 
I do. However, I do for the ones that don't have already a partner. I think Edgar Spillett, again, is a great example here because they've been around a long time and they every one of their games essentially goes and they find partners across the world. Z-Man Games, for instance, was a partner with them for quite a while. Tasty Minstrel Games was a partner with them as well in North America. So they had multiple North American partners for various games. So those partnerships, to the extent that the partner wants to keep them, they will keep those games. Camel Up is a great example of a game that Z-Man Games does and will continue to do. If they ever dropped it, I may then decide that it's a good idea for me to pick it up. Oh, why would you want that? That hasn't made any money. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, Spiel de Jar winners will always do pretty well, but they'll do <laughs> but they'll sure, do yeah. really, really, really well though in Germany, and they'll just do good in North America. That you know, Spiel de Jar is phenomenal. Of course, we all want to win that, and we got we got a recommendation this year with Animals on Board. Again, it's a it's a game that has done. Great. We want all the games to win awards, of course. The amount of sales that a, an award nomination or recommendation will give you will vary based on based on the country. Yeah, I mean, Animals on Board specifically, I know, got buzz out of that recommendation, and it sold out definitely in the UK. You just can't get a copy anywhere here, so... Oh, really? Oh, yeah, that's interesting, it, yeah. because uh, Edgar Spiel has a relationship where they maintain Europe by them, and their European partner, which is Pegasus Spieler, who we do work mm-hmm. with, who we do work with as well. I can't sell into Europe for their titles. It's interesting that you're saying that you can't find an Animals on Board now. That sounds like it means that they, they've sold out of their print run. I haven't. I should probably ask them, hey, can I sell a few copies? <laughs> because I, I do have copies left. So um, that's, that's interesting. I would believe that they would be bringing that back again in, in the very near future if they've sold out. So you, you have these big strategic partnerships which you make at Essen. Are they going to show you games which they're planning on bringing out 2017, 2018? Will you be able to get a look at them now? I will. <laughs> All of those... Can we come? <laughs> <laughs> you may not come to that meeting, unfortunately. <laughs> but um, all the partners will start to discuss what they'll be doing in 2017. In fact, I'll even tell you more. I've already seen what's going to be going on with some of those partners for 2017. Not every game. They plan very far in advance. They've got a couple of shows where they have to show off games. Essen's only one of them. Nuremberg mm-hmm. is another mm-hmm, very yeah. big German show. That's a um, not a consumer show, so I don't go yet. So they're showing games there to retailers. And they'll also take meetings, of course, with um, their distributors, and, and they'll look at prototypes as well. But I've already seen games that are going to be for Nuremberg, so I know that those are some of the games that I will already be picking up for 2017. So I don't want to squeeze you too hard, so we'll take just three exclusives from you at this <laughs> Just time. three. Just three. <laughs> anything. anything you can There's one. I just told you that I've already seen some of the games. <laughs> that's not an well, Of course it is. I haven't told anybody that I... That's bragging. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't told anybody that I saw two Edgar Spiele 2017 releases in, in prototype form. So that's the first time I've ever mentioned that. You can, you can keep talking. No, we can I get really from can't you. because I might lose my <laughs> no, part. No one listens to I, this Nobody life. listens to this podcast, so... <laughs> You mean you mean you're not on the Dice Tower Network? Oh my God! No, Ooh, no, my, no. My, my agent told me that this was a big podcast. I'm out of here. Goodbye. Hanging up. Click. I know a man who knows a man who knows your That's agent. It. That's why you're here. There you go. <laughs> you're in too deep. So again, you you have those bigger deals with the bigger companies, but you've brought out other games like Esteril, City of Spies, maybe Golden Ages that aren't from bigger companies. How would that come about? How would someone show you a game, or how would you find a game, maybe at Spiel or Essen, that would catch your eye and you think, oh, I quite fancy that? I've got spies all over the place. This is how the City of Spies came out. <laughs> I see, but only in Portugal. <laughs> you know, any of those games that are with smaller publishing houses, hey, Terraforming Mars is exactly the same thing. 
Very, mm-hmm. very small publisher out in Sweden. So them for Terrifying Mars, Mesa board games for City of Spies. We see what's going on. You know, we scour the geek and find out, well, what are the new games coming out at Essen? We say, hey, well, you know, why don't we have a meeting? We'll talk about the potential to co-publish this game. And that'll be me going out to them, but the exact same thing happens in reverse. So Ergo Ludo came to me a year before last and said, do you want to do Golden Ages? And, you know, we played it and said, oh, this is really, really great take on on Civ building. So, yeah, let's do this game. We already had the relationship with Mesa Board Games with Panamax two years ago. Panamax did very well for us. We went to a second printing on that game. So we... Mm saw City of Spies, and we saw the reviews that were going up, I'm like, lightweight tile placement, really nice bluffing tile placement game. This is a game that would fit great into the catalog. So we picked that one up. Every game is going to be based on what, how we think we can position it versus the other games in our catalog. We'll just continue to look for various publishers. I mean, we work with Asmodee. Asmodee licenses from me, which is great, right? Asmodee does survive. They brand it as the island for uh, other languages other than English. We, we maintain English and they exploit another six or eight languages across the world. Careful playing with the Kraken with Asmodee, Stephen. They'll just swallow you up one of these days. Listen, listen. <laughs> Every man has his price. Let's face it. I would, I would be a very bad businessman not to listen to any offer on the table. However... It's got to be coming soon. They've bought everyone I know, else. <laughs> I, I do not believe Asmodee has their sights on stronghold games. It's always, I mean, listen, it's always a chance, and uh, you always talk. You talk to everybody. There are plenty of consolidations going on in this industry. That's a huge topic, and we could talk about that one for an hour alone. You never know what's going to happen, but you know, right now, there's no offers for stronghold games. But you know, who knows? Who knows? Fair <laughs> enough. We'll, we'll you're tiptoe not, away from you're that not one. getting, and you're not getting exclusive on that one either. So there. <laughs> <laughs> I can only try. That's right. That's okay, right. before we move on to your games that you're going to release this year, because clearly we're going to have a quick chat about mm-hmm. them. Maybe in comparison to when you first went six years ago, what are your expectations now as a larger company, much more established, much more of a range of products, a bigger footprint at the show, as opposed to when you went there in 2010? What does Essen achieve for you as a company in 2016? The most important thing for current games is to make sure we're showing them off in a good light. You're going to do X sales there, of course, and and the sales are great. Let's not kid ourselves. Phenomenal sales at this show. But you really want people to take back a great experience at the Stronghold Games booth. And my Knights of the Stronghold, that's my the way I brand my demo team, these guys are great, and I get so many of the same people coming back year after year, and they're so motivated, and they love the company, they love the games we're doing. We treat them well, they come back to us, and they go berserk at just learning games and teaching the games, and that's great. Number one. Number two, of course, sell some games. Always a good thing to do. You know, gets rid of some of the costs that are associated with, uh, with being at the show. Of course, then making new partnerships going forward, seeing new games from current designers from current publishers that already have games that are going to be at the show looking at some amount of prototypes we can't look at so many these days because we have so many other games that we essentially are going to do anyway but we'll take a look at some prototypes there as well and simply bringing back all of these games that we find there and then over the next few months it's a very important time for stronghold games we vet all of the games that we bring back and we get back to everybody and say we'd like to do this game this gun, sorry, we can't do. I mean, we literally, you know, 90% of the games, we're going to bring back dozens 
dozens of games and prototypes. And then, of course, we're going to have to trim that down to, like, you know, which are the ones that we really want to go deeply into and make the decisions on for 2017. That's what Essen's all about for me, creating my next catalog. So some, some lucky designer out there is going to hit the jackpot and get picked up. Some lucky designer and hopefully some lucky small publishers uh, will be part Sweet. of uh, the, the Strongly Games catalog in 2017. Okay, you led me in seamlessly, <laughs> so our listeners will have heard. We're gonna get like, like I almost like, I, like I've done this before, maybe <laughs> <laughs> once or twice. You've you been a podcast. <laughs> I must have missed all of them. <laughs> so that we previewed Great Western Trail last episode, so our listeners have had a full rules explanation and heard us chat it over, and we're excited about that one. We'll pull it out there. I think it's great the way that he's given all those choices. When you've just got one cowboy to move and you've got limited options per turn, but there are repercussions from there. With so many repercussions, it's quite a crunchy game. It's not an ideal game to get across to people encountering it for the first time at a convention. How do you get together your demo team? How do you prepare them to teach a game as deep as Great Western well, Trail? Well, you know, at, at any convention, any game that's two-hour experience, essentially, especially in your first play with rules explanation and all mm-hmm. that, you're not going to have people playing the full game in most cases you just can't because there's going to be we're going to have a line five deep you know people wanting to sit there and play the game so we ask everybody on the demo team to please read the rules please try to get as familiar with these things as possible and then we have someone from in the case of great western trail from eggert spieler come over on wednesday before the show and go through both of their games take the team through both of those games and give them the best way that they can present the game Fortunately, I don't have to be that person because it would explode my brain. But I have got. But I also, my, my demo team is motivated. They're very excited. They're nice and young, and they've got a lot of energy, much more than an old guy like me. And damn those young people! They'll assimilate it to the best of their ability. You know, you don't do a perfect job. You absolutely can't. But you're going to give them as much as you can, get them a flavor for that game, and then hopefully they'll say like, "Wow, this is great. Got to get it." Or, "Hmm, this is good. Something I want to look at for later on for potential purchase." after the show. That's the most that we can we can provide people and I think that we do at least as good a job at doing that as any other publisher that you'll see at the Spiel. Now, Jorvik, that's a good game that was in desperate need of a rethink. Oh my god. For sure. I mean, this in the English speaking market, is it is it possible to even say the Speakerstadt? Speakerstadt. Is it the Speaker? There's a Speaker, the Speakerstadt and and Kaiserstadt. Kaiserstadt. Unpronounceable, as we're as we're showing here with our horrible German. Are you not an aficionado of warehouse areas of <laughs> European yeah. ports? Yeah, not only is it unpronounceable in English, it's this the, a very 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 dry theme. So yeah. taking that, and again, I'm not the smartest guy, but I work with the smartest people. So Edgar Spieler went to Stefan Feld and said, you know what? Why don't we take the game, put it into a really cool theme? Vikings are cool. Maybe the second hottest thing after Mars. Or Vikings, <laughs> and maybe zombies are in there somewhere too, but they've been overdone. Cthulhu, Cthulhu and zombies—they're overdone. So well, let's pick a really nice, interesting theme that we could take some really cool artwork too, and we'll retheme the Speakerstadt and Kaiser Speaker, whatever, and we'll take those games, put them in one box, retheme it all, create two ways to play the game. Basically, you play the base game essentially with some tweaks, or you combine it with the expansion with some tweaks. And it's about the Viking city of Jorvik, which is now the great city of York in England. Phenomenal uh, idea to do so. 
cannot take credit for it. I give credit where credit is due. This is uh, <laughs> this is uh, the, the really smart people over at Edgar Spieler who did that. I was really happy to announce that as part of my you know 2016 uh, strategic partnership with them, and immediately put that game as well as the Great Western Trail into my The Great Designer series, which is a series of games where I'm putting you know the greatest designers of the world are going into this, and certainly Stefan Feld. And Alexander Fister. I, th- I think he sneaks yes. in. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> and Alexander Fister, who is a young designer but has repeatedly been winning awards year over year. He's exploded. exploded. Mombasa last year, Isle of Sky mm-hmm. this year. You know, once he won that award, we said this game is also going into the, the great designer series as well. He made it. He, he did. I mean, it was, it was, how could I not? Great to have him. I've, I've had a few pleasant days and nights in the pubs in York and I think it's the only way you could have got away with a Viking theme and I wouldn't have uh, been abusing you for overusing Vikings I'm like okay you called it York I'm in I'm go. in it's a great excellent place. thanks <laughs> okay <laughs> Solar Fide is yes. coming my understanding of it is it's based on Campaign Manager 2008 again another good game that it's it certainly in my opinion the theme didn't do it too many favours and I believe they've tightened it up a little bit because it, it was an interesting backwards-forwards asymmetric two-player game, but playing as McCain never felt that exciting. <laughs> <laughs> Sell us on Solar Fide because fighting over the Holy Roman Empire, that's something I can get my teeth into. I think when this game was announced, and I don't know if you saw the... I saw the Did you see the roll? Okay, great. So yeah, so make, let's make sure your, your audience knows what we're talking about. So it had already been on the geeks, so people were like really like paying close attention would have seen that Solar Fide, the Reformation, was already sort of announced quote-unquote but the official announcement came at gen con at the dice tower live show yeah where tom you know brings on notables from the industry and talks to them and stuff and of course mocks me incessantly that's part of the whole thing you know tom and i we have this great relationship i call him my arch nemesis of gaming so it's, it's a lot of fun but i came on stage and i said that we have an announcement that's 500 years in the making and all of a sudden Gregorian <laughs> Gregorian chant started playing. I jumped up, attempted to put on monk's robes, which took me like forever to get them on. I finally did. On the stage walked Uli Blenemann from Spielworks and Jason Matthews, one of the two designers with Christian Leonard of Solar Fide the Reformation. And Jason Matthews, if people out there don't know, is responsible for, you know, oh, this small game called Twilight Struggle. Obviously, he's got tremendous cred in the industry. So why is this such a great theme? It is very topical, 500 years topical, but next year is the 500th anniversary of a very significant event in human history, the schism of the Roman Church into the Catholics and the Protestants, and Martin Luther starting that by nailing the 95 Theses on the door of the Church. In Sola Fide, you are influencing the inner circles of the Catholic Church. There's 10 of them. There's these 10 boards in the game that you're going to be playing through one at a time and going and trying to get the influence either as the Catholics or as the Protestants. Immediately upon announcing this game, it went crazy. I, I was getting emails saying, this is great. Thanks for doing this great themed game. It's you know, The Reformation is going to be very big for us next year, the 500th anniversary. So everyone asking for a review copy and a really well-timed event for us to to get this out there. It is going to be somewhat derivative of the original campaign manager system, but they've tweaked it relatively extensively. So the game is playable in like a 45-minute time frame with some nice, interesting choices and very, very thematic. Jason Matthews, Christian Leonard, that's their wheelhouse. They do thematic games that just make sense, and that's really what you're going to get in this experience, Sola Fide, the Reformation. And is it true they are approached with the theme? 
and asked to, to go with that because of the 500 year anniversary. Very true. How did you even hear that? I didn't actually even see that come out anyplace. But in, remember, you said you had spies. I do. Oh, so you have them too. There <laughs> you go. Yeah, Uli. Um, he's one of my best friends in the industry. Not only a strategic partner over at Spielworks. What a great guy he is. So fun to work with. So damn smart. He really is. And uh, he went to them and said, you know, we got this thing happening here. There's this little event that's happening over here. Obviously, also very important in Germany, because this is where it started. would be great for you guys to do something that's based on this history and on this event. Jason and Christian were only too happy to give it a shot. I think the box alone says, like, wow, okay, this is just different. Right? Yeah, it's it's just str- a, these hands praying. It's the kind of a beautiful piece of art that evokes the time frame that this was in. And yeah, really excited about um, playing the final version of this game. As I haven't. I played the early prototype. I'm like, oh, this is cool. I can't wait to see what the final is going to look like. Cool. I, I always felt like that system was, if something was just missing on it. So, so hopefully this is, this is it. This is what ticks the box. Okay. The next one of your extensive list of releases. <laughs> La Gronka No Siesta. Oh, you said it worse than even I say it. Lagranka. 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 Oh man, yeah. you're talking to someone from London yeah. with an oh. Irish background. And, so, <laughs> and I'm from New Jersey, and I just usually normally say Lagranja, you know, because you know, yeah, Amer- there's, a, there's a pair of us in this. <laughs> Americans are definitely too dumb to be able to pronounce that the right way, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, no comment. <laughs> in Lagranja, no siesta. I've kind of tweak the name just a little bit so people really understand what this game is. It's La Granja, the dice game, no siesta. Because we want to make sure that people don't think it's uh, an expansion. It's an expansion. It is not. Yeah, which, yeah, which by the way, like, yeah. you know, all right, a little, uh, little bit of uh, info. Maybe there'll be an expansion for La Granja in the future. Maybe, maybe. Is that, is that, I like it. That's one of your three. Is that, is that one of the three? That did, I, did I give you something there? That's not <laughs> an official announcement, by the way. So don't stop posting all over the world. <laughs> of course not. Yeah, of course, course not. Nothing's official it's, here. It's possible that an expansion gets... gets you know, okay. okay. <laughs> so this is this is kind of interesting to me because when you have a dice game version of a game, you're expecting it to be condensed and a bit lighter. Yes. And then I opened up your rule book and it's 32 pages long. No, it is okay. not 32. It's well, it's 32 very small pages. That's right. Yeah, all right. I admit that it did look small. There is 32 pages. Okay. There. So let's let's do the math on this. Okay. All right. Listen, listen, wise guy. Let's do the math on this. <laughs> So and I got I, I took a lot of flack on Bear Valley too. Oh yeah, but I haven't read that rule book, but I did hear Bear about Val- it. <laughs> Bear Valley is forty pages, but it's forty of these in inches. Oh, you guys use it? You guys use inches? No, no, you. Yeah, yeah. yeah so it's like we use both. both. We, we, I, everything in Britain, we use both. <laughs> so it's like um, they're like five inches by six inches the rule book because that's the size of the box. I put this into the diamonds size box. This is part of my pocket, oh, yeah. pocket line. I love this box size because I can put some really cool components into this, but it's not big enough to like to like do a full size like a huge board game. So in this game there's custom dice, there are some player boards, there's a notepad, there's pencils. So you've got all this stuff and it barely fits into the box actually. You know when you have these small sizes you can only put a, a rule book that's that size too. I always say there's about a four to one if you think about the math on that too. It's like four to one. So thirty two pages is like eight pages it's an eight page rule book if you're doing a4 it's an eight there's a lot it's an eight page rule book if you're doing a4 or letter size paper i guarantee it so (laughs) if you don't like flipping pages i guess it's long but if you don't mind pages are so tiring to flip a gamer (laughs) i don't do physical exercise oh my god that's right you 
<laughs> you gamers, you don't like do any physical exercise. There you go. All right. I have a page turner. <laughs> Boy, turn my page. There you um, go. But it is not. For, obviously, I've only read the rule book. I haven't played it. It's not a light, light game. There are definite choices there. Paths to go down. It's a dice drafter. It's a right? dice draft. And I actually, the one thing I do love is that I understand you roll dice equals twice the number of players plus one. You draft once, re-roll them, draft again, and the last dice get re-rolled, and everyone gets that as income. Right. So, so if you think about, it, you played Lagranha, you played the original game. Oh yeah, of yeah, course. Phenomenal game, and it, like it rocketed into the top 100. Really has been embraced as a, as a wonderful game, which didn't in and of itself invent new things, but it used so many really great mechanics from other games, and that's what made Lagranha really great. And, and Ode was another guy. Let me tell you, an up-and-coming designer, Andreas. Odenstall, Odendal. He just goes by Ode, O-D-E, period, on, on the Geek these days and, and on his game boxes. Really brilliant guy, a really up and, great up-and-coming designer. Been having him in the booth all day Sunday. Come, come by and get your game signed. He's really good at picking great mechanics, and in this game, he distilled the dice mechanic that is in the original game into this game, where you're then taking dice to do actions and to get resources, and then you're marking them onto your pad. So everyone's got a pad to mark all the stuff they have, so there's a little bit of bookkeeping involved. So yeah, there's a lot in there. You're going to have a lot of fun decisions to make. It's not like zombie dice or Martian dice, roll dice, you know, collect things, pass the dice kind of thing. No, everyone's doing this sort of together in, in a drafting mechanic. And then everybody, like you said, gets that last die together, which is similar, again, in the mechanic that was used in Lagranha, the base game. I've got a, a trite question for you. How did you decide how many pages to put in in the scoring pad that people are going to tick on? <laughs> I have no idea. Whatever, whatever <laughs> made sense. Because uh, people are going to moan either way, right? Well, you know, There's people who play it twice and go, oh, there's too many. There's people who want to play it 200 times and go, I can't play it 200 times. That, that's what that's what color printers are for. That's what copy machines are for. That's, <laughs> so we'll, we will gladly put up the picture of that image, you know, on the geek, and you'll be... Happy that you'll download it and print it to your heart's content. That it's, it's sort of an insight into my psyche. Whenever I find them in a game, I pick them up and go, I wonder how they decide how many to print. It's got to be a difficult yeah, choice. Yeah, now, the only game that I have before this, I'm not sure that's a correct statement, but I'll make it anyway. Uh, the only game I have with a notepad in it is Code 777. How did I pick that number of pages? I don't remember. Because <laughs> I'm the only one sad enough that's to care, you, Stephen. It's okay. That's pretty crazy that you care. But I think we basically said, you know, we wanted about this number of pages, and the printer might have then made a decision, well, it makes sense that we, you know, based on the size of the physical thing that they're doing and, and what they what they can fit in a box, we'll do 140 pages. I think that might have been the number. Gamers don't react well to about. <laughs> there has to be a reason here somewhere. You know, I'd love to say that there's this great calculations made about every little part of that goes into a game, but sometimes... Don't don't shout on my world, Stephen. Don't shout on my world. You're getting sometimes close. Sometimes it's a gut. Don't you want it to be sometimes that, you know, I'm bringing this expertise, my gut feeling, that this is what we should do. <gasps> Sometimes it's your gut. And you, hey, you've trusted my gut so far. Trust my gut. <laughs> Chaos games. That's what you should oh, be <laughs> No, we are stronghold games. We, we control it all. Controlling the world since, since 2010. Uh, you're getting there. You're getting there. Okay, we're going to rattle through three more. You've got Fog of War ah. coming from Jeff Engelstein. Now, there's a problem uh -oh. here, Stephen, uh -oh. all right? I listen to Game Tech. Jeff is clearly about 3,000 times smarter than me. And me. And that's a very serious game cover. So I'm a little bit scared of Fog of War. Yeah, but, yeah, but you know, yeah, I don't think you need to be, really. 
you know, so let's talk a little bit about what, first of all, it is Jeff's first solo design. He has always designed games with his kids, and they are the smartest family you'll ever meet. So kudos to them and to Jeff for always having them involved. Fog of War, it is European theater of war, World War II, which everybody has done, right? That's maybe well, that's one of the most common themes out there. But Jeff, of course, was not going to have a game where you're moving units around a map the way most of those games are. In The Fog of War, it's a grand strategic game. And what you're doing is planning operations, which are actually done on an operations wheel. Each player has this. You start planning of an operation, and then it can be launched at any point along its path. If you launch too early, you're going to get minuses. Later, you're going to get pluses. But the later you do it, it brings in the other part of the game, which is huge for this game, and that is that the intelligence gathering aspects during the war were tremendous. There were no spy satellites, obviously, but the Axis and the Allies were trying to figure out you know, where things were going. So they were had to send messages in code, sometimes in like newspapers in codes and things like that. So you're able to play intelligence of tokens to take, possibly take a look at the various operations that I haven't launched yet. I could be planning decoy operations. You could say that I'm planning an invasion of Spain, and it has two or three bluff cards involved in it, too. It'll look like a really big operation, and you might be tempted, oh my god, i got to go look at this one. Meanwhile, I've got my bigger operation with my large number of actual infantry and air support and naval support, all of that actually in another operation that's going against Italy, for instance. So it's all about planning all your operations, launching them at the right time, bluffing your opponent, and hopefully your opponent doesn't get a time to find out what you're doing at any given time. It is not very deep. 12 pages of rules, if I'm not mistaken there, so not so bad for a war game. But definitely <laughs> a two-player, a two-player, very different take on the World War II European theater. Really proud of having this one, his first solo design in our catalog. And this is my first war game. So this puts Stronghold Games in every, every segment of like the gaming market. Nice. One of our contributors, Puria, is obsessed with linking games together. So the next thing I want to see from you is City of Spies linked to Fog of War. <laughs> That's right. Well, they're the same time frame. You're absolutely right. Huh. Mm-hmm. Hmm. I happen to be reading a book about espionage in World War II, so I kind of Estherils come into it and this sort of thing. So I am intrigued. Maybe we create a sideboard. You know, on Fog of War, that's the city of spies. That, like, the, therefore, you can possibly get intelligence from your spies that are running around Esteril to figure out what's happening in Fog of War. Hmm. Okay, I expect my name to be on that <laughs> box. Original concept by original, Ronan Rice. Okay. Original concept by. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> there are a couple of 2F games coming yes, as well. Yes, 2F Spiel, my very good friends. That was the last of the strategic partnerships that I've announced uh, recently at did you first link up through 504? Is That's that right? right. I've been courting Friedemann for years and years and years. He had already had a strategic, he had a, yes, a strategic partnership in Cole, whether they officially blamed or that. They, he was working with Rio Grande for years. And Jay yeah. Tummelson, who owns Rio Grande, he's been doing less in the industry over time and doing less, uh, I, I assume, getting ready to retire. I mean, he, he's one of the few guys in the industry that is older than me. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, but he's one of the true geniuses. He started bringing the Euro games from Germany to the United States. So all of those early game designs, Puerto Rico, Amon Ray, I mean, there's hundreds of games, St. Petersburg, that he ended up bringing to uh, North America. And it's all due to Rio Grande games. Huge props to them. So Jay's been doing less and less games now. Rio's been doing less and less games. And 2F Spiele, 
wanted to have a single partner that they could work with and count on to do all of their games. So they, they talked to Jay, and Jay said, I'm kind of backing down. I'm not going to be doing too many more games, so I don't think I'm going to do those games. And they said, we're going to find another partner if that's okay. They agreed. So Friedemann found my passion for what he was doing with 504. We did a great game there together. Fantastic game. Sold out even before it was on the street and is now coming back, being reprinted and coming back. And then decided, you know what? Stronghold Games can do the right thing by us and we'll create this partnership so that I'll be doing all of his games going forward. And the two that we have coming out this year are Fuji Flush and Fabled Fruit. Very different games. Much, much different than, of course, 504, which was 504 different games in a single box. Massive undertaking that is a study in game design. Anybody who is a game designer, we talked about game designers. So, you know, you know, Ronan, if you're looking to be a game designer, you need 504, and you need to study how he integrated nine modules to create 504 different variations on a game. I, I can't emphasize how much I'm not looking to be a game designer. <laughs> <laughs> I'd play four of the 504 and want to move on to the next sure, game. Sure, sure, which is exactly right. But I've always thought that if you really, like, really want to study what it means to, to understand mechanisms and linkages in games. I think 504 is a case study in, in this concept. I think you're kind of echoing what we said about it, that it was very, very interesting to look into the game design process and to mix up the modules mm -hmm. and to see how that affects and how changing the goals changes how people use mechanisms, things like that. You're kind of seeing from the same hymn sheet from there us there. There you go, exactly. His two 2016 ones that you're bringing out, Fabled Fruit. Fabled Fruit a and Fuji Fable, Fable game. game. Yeah, let's talk about that one first. So, so again, Friedemann, he's never never satisfied to simply, you know, let things lie and release a cube-pushing game. So he releases Fabled Fruit. Uh, I helped them brand this into a new concept, because it is, it's a new, completely new concept in gaming, a Fable game. Fable game is a game that will start in a given initial, call it simple, state, and over time, in multiple plays, not only during the game, yes, during the game, the game itself changes, and the mechanics that you're using in the game are actually changing. So that differs from a legacy game in that it doesn't change permanently. You're not ripping cards, you're not stickering things, you're not opening up a new box and, and zom, something else comes out of that, that, that box that you're going to be... Uh, never mind. Did you just no, spoil that? No, I did not. No, I did not. <laughs> that's not that, never mind. We won't even go there. So, uh, things aren't physically changing. So, you can play Fabled Fruit 20 times, give or take, and the game will continue to evolve. And once you've played it approximately 20 times, you will have finished the game, so to speak, but you can say, wow, that was great. We can start it again from the beginning and do it again. And it'll play exactly the same way, but not the same decisions. You'll have to make different decisions based on what's what's there. And you can play it with the same group of people and have another great another great experience. Or you can say, play the same game again and again and just say, oh, I'm going to continue mastering this and continue mastering it. So there's a thousand ways of approaching the Fable game that we have here in Fable Fruit. What you're trying to do essentially, though, in the game, just so people know, is you're collecting fruit and creating juices. Once you've collected the fruit that, to create a juice, you're scoring points for that, and once you get to a certain number of points, you're winning that game. All done via card play, with some really cool bits in the game. Each, each person's playing a creature in the forest, and you've got these really great, like, sculpted wooden creatures in the game. As those fruits are used up, then you're bringing out of the box something you don't even know about, 
a new mechanic, a new item that's going to be used in the game. All based on cards, about 200 cards in the game, and that's Fabled Fruit. I think that, again, people who want to see something that is truly unique will latch onto this game. It's like, wow, okay, Friedemann, he does it again. Something that's just south of insanity is the way I kind of talk about his games. <laughs> ba- barely. Yes, south yes of exactly. <laughs> so really cool. Final one we're going to talk about is Fuji Flush. I need you, I need you yeah. to explain something to me before yeah. we get onto how it plays. He sent it out as, um, as Doppelt and Dryfac, right? <laughs> to random people or, or chosen people without saying what it was or that's, he that's it. exactly right what was that about just south of that is that's another you know again <laughs> it's it's so the way that he thinks and the way that his mind works and give a shout out to uh henning krupke who's his like right hand man sort of he's like the vice president of operations for uh 2f spieler he takes care of all of these like kind of crazy things with freedom and does all the business side and like they sent a prototype version of the game to about 60 people worldwide industry-related people for the most part, or bloggers or podcasters or reviewers, just so they would get it and play it and say, huh, of course it got up on the board game Geek as Doppleck and Dreifacht or something like that. means means double and triple, by the way, in German. And they got it out there so people would start talking about it and commenting on it, and then we together announced the game. Now, this is the game that's sort of unpronounceable in, in German. In German, it's called Fuchikato. Which sounds Japanese to me, Fujikato, but okay. it's actually mm-hmm. so. Yeah. So I I then rethemed it to Fuji Flush because Fujikato sounds Japanese and Flush it's a term in cards and what you're doing in the game is you're flushing other people's cards down the drain. Start out with five or six cards in your hand. Object of the game: get rid of all your cards. First person or persons to get rid of all the cards win the game. When you play a card in front of you, if it's higher than any other card that's on the table, that card gets flushed down the drain, and the person has to redraw a card. So they haven't gotten to their goal you know, any faster. However, if I play a card and then you play a card of exactly the same number, well, we now add the cards together, and we both have the higher number. So if I play a 2 only, your cards go from 2 to 20. I play a 2, and then you play a 2, we both have 4. The next guy can say, I'm going to play a 2, we both have a 6. So that's how you gang up on the larger cards. Yeah, playing a 20 is pretty cool, but guess what? When four people play a six, boom, we knock that 20 right out, which is something we'd all want to do, because 20 is too powerful of a card to let him sneak through and not have to flush that card down the drain. So that's Fuji Flush. Three to eight players, really fun game, especially at those higher card counts, plays in 10, 15 minutes. I will say that I'm definitely going to have a look at them after playing Five Gherkins, which was his sort of lighter card game release last year and having a really funny time with it. It was more than the mechanics appeared yes. to be. And I guess that's one of the reasons that made him is a that, good designer is that it's more than it appears that on five paper. cucumbers also? Yeah, it's Five Gherkins okay. over here. Yes, Five Cucumbers yeah. is what I've, I've heard of. It. I've never played it, but again, right, you know, with all of Freedom's games, not just, wow, that sounds like a silly mechanic. I throw a card down and I'm going to try to get to a higher card. But once you get the other subtleties of what you have to do there. Sometimes you are teaming up with people, and you got to do that strategically. And God, you better not team up with somebody if that's their last card there, because then they're going to go out and you're going to lose, even though, okay, you got your card passed, but you're going to lose the game. So it's all of these little subtleties that end up in his games that make them really interesting. The uh, five cucumbers is hilariously brutal. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> Excellent. So we're going to finish off with a couple of things. The first thing I want to ask you is, 
are there any games that you've seen coming out SN2016, which you are not releasing, that you're very oh excited about? Oh, my God. See, now, again, I would be kind of giving you information here if I said that. You understand? <laughs> because I have, I've got meetings. Now, you probably will not believe the insanity that is Stephen Bonacore and Stronghold Games. I literally have a meeting every half hour, the entire show, starting, really, on Wednesday. I try to, like, not schedule for the first hour because I think make sure the booth is running well, especially on Thursday. That's just insanity. That's mm-hmm, the, the rush. Hour. So, but after that, every half hour, another another person comes to the booth, another one, another one, another one. And we do it the entire show. We're looking at a lot of games. There's a lot of interesting games. There always are. There's 900 games getting released. So there's so many interesting games that are out there. And if I told you about any of them, and somebody else might go and get that meeting. You've got to drop one or two names on me. Ones that are coming from other big publishers. Anything. Something that you're looking that I want to walk away with this game to play for myself. I'm looking at my list here. What could I even... <laughs> Everyone has a list of things. Luda Creations has got a really interesting looking game called Alone. It's sort of a first one against many. It's the many are going after the one person. What an interesting kind of concept for a game. Is it normally, right? Normally it's like the... You know, like the Fury of Dracula kind of thing, where the one is trying to do something and hide and fight, and everyone else is going after them. So it's sort of the opposite way. That one person's got to survive, where the three people are coming after them and trying to destroy him. So that's just that, you know, comes out um, that looked really interesting. My partner on uh, on CO2, the Talaserta game, that's JochiX.it, mm-hmm. uh, has got a couple of really interesting, wild-sounding games, uh, Virus, and the Vampire, the Elf, and the Cthulhu. I mean, the theme right there is so is so absurd that it had it had to be looked at, and it looks like it's got some really interesting mechanics going on. So there's two of them that I I have meetings, but I literally have meetings constantly throughout the show. We will find some of the next great games at the Spiel 2016. I guarantee it. <laughs> excellent, excellent. And the last thing from me is I'm gonna be a fanboy for a minute. My name is on the side of that Space Cadets away. Awesome. Box. Thank you. It was in my top three from last year. I'll, I'll put all the love I can on you. I, I loved it. Is there any more coming for it? Is there any expansion? Any more missions? Yes. What well, that's yeah. I mean, I can certainly give that to you. That, uh, but we kind of we mentioned it as part of the, the Kickstarter. It was the only Kickstarter I ever did. What a great experience. <clears throat> Kicks, Kickstarters are very, very <laughs> difficult to do. Let's just put it that way. Uh, on so many levels. But I love my fans. I love you all. I love you. Some people are a little easier to love than others, though. But um, in uh, Space Gets Away Missions, it was my big plastics game, and that's why we did it on Kickstarter, to see if I could prove that there was a market for me for, like, a $100 game, and obviously there was. It's a fantastic game, and it sold very well, continuing to do well. We're working on an expansion, hoping to have it out in 2017. I can't tell you much more about it, because there's still a lot going on with it. I mean, there's still a lot of changes that we could be making to it. But, you know, it'll be all more of all the stuff that you'd probably want to see in it, right? There's new player characters, new monsters, new terrain, all of that stuff, you know, that, that you've loved already in, in the current game. Get And uh, more of this 50s sci-fi, that Golden Age sci-fi theme that, uh, you know, was really different, too. I mean, that's something that we really loved. We really loved doing it because there's plenty of modern sci-fi and Star Trek and Star Wars type sci-fi. But now you have taking it back to the, the campiness of that era was kind of fun for us to do. Well, my grey Essex afternoon has just brightened oh, up somewhat. That's very nice. There you made you me go. happy. Oh, thank you, <laughs> Stephen, thank you very, very much for joining us. Or me. I appreciate it very much being here. And if you don't mind me giving a shout out so that people could find me, if that's okay. Of course. Yeah, yeah so no problem. Everything we talked about today, 
is right there at the Stronghold Games webpage, strongholdgames.com. We maintain the list of our current set of releases there, so you can see the release dates and the, and the MSRPs for everything coming up and our release dates, tentative as they may be sometimes, but uh, everything from now through the end of the year is listed up there, and it's a little bit for next year. You can also find me on Facebook, slash Stronghold Games, on Twitter. We're very active on Twitter, at Stronghold Games, and my own podcast, Board Games Insider, where Ignacy Chevichek of Portal Games and Stephen Bonacore of Stronghold Games talk to you for only 30 minutes, and we give you a bi-weekly podcast on what's going on in the industry, news, how to get into the industry, and then what's happening on both Portal Games and Stronghold Games. And we just went to a weekly format where uh, Ignacy will interview designers on the off week, and I'll interview publishers on the off week. That's his thing. He's the designer and a publisher, and of course I am a publisher. So we're going to be going to a weekly format and again, keeping it down to that very pithy 30 minutes so that people can get in and out on their maybe on their drives to work and things like that. My apologies if I'm being dense. Have you guys ever teamed up on anything? Uh, well, we did at the end of last year, the beginning of this year, he gave me the license to do Stronghold 2nd Edition. Now, now there's of course, obvious yeah, branding okay. reasons for that, right? I mean, I've, I've wanted that <laughs> game in my catalog since before it came out in 2010 by another company who had the license, which has since imploded. And I reached out, this is a great story, I reached out to Ignacy in late 2009 or 2010, right after Stronghold Games formed, and I said, as Stephen Bonacore from Stronghold Games, starting a company called, a company called Stronghold Games, I see you have a game called Stronghold, we'd love to discuss with you possibly putting this and co-publishing this in our catalog. I get back a letter a couple of days later saying, no, thank you. <laughs> it was like it was like and it's exactly in 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 later years later when I told him the story he goes all I saw there was like some company who's never done a game before that no games that I know we had not had a game out yet coming to me and saying you know who's this guy why would I want to do a game I'll go with this other company that got other games out and he said it was the single worst mistake he's ever made in his gaming career and that made me feel good because he knows that obviously I would have done a great job with the IP based on the name alone and also that's what Stronghold Games has become and the other company has not. So when I knew that he was going to do a second edition I said why don't we do this game together now and he said yes let's do it. This is the only game that he now licenses out in English because he does his own distribution in North America so I still maintain North America for this game alone. Nobody, all of his other games, he does himself now. He's taken back all of his licenses. I think uh, all players of Stronghold thank you for the second edition. Yeah, the rule book certainly is better, and the game has been changed, changed <laughs> and streamlined in a fundamental way. And I think it's really, uh, certainly a, a much better game. The other game was fantastic with a bad rule book. This game's even better with a better rule book. <laughs> Thank you very much. Thank you, everyone, for listening. You can find us on Twitter and Facebook, The Game Pit Podcast. We are proud members of the Dice Tower Network, where you can hear fantastic other gaming podcasts, many of them with Stephen That's on right. them last month. <laughs> <laughs> I think he's taken over. I think Tom should be worried. Okay, thanks a lot, and we hope you enjoy this episode, and I hope you enjoy the upcoming Spiel previews coming your way. Music by E. Carrick.